And just look over at somebody and tell them you are in the right place at the right time. And if they act like they don't believe it, just get your stuff and move, okay? All right. Hey, it's good to be with you. Don't you appreciate your pastor and his family? They're such great people. Man, we, we love them very much. They've become good friends. Uh, your pastor actually serves uh, on the board of one of our church's organizations. And um, after seeing him in Honduras, I was so impressed with his ministry and his heart. I don't know if you've had the privilege to go to Honduras with him. If you ever get that chance, you need to take him up on it because he is the Pope of Honduras. If you want anything in Honduras, just tell them you know Pastor Paul and they will make it happen for you. Um, it, 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 I was talking to him on the way down. I, I actually did not realize how geographically close uh, we were uh, by being there in Gatlinburg to where you guys are located. And um, I just wanted to connect with him a little bit and just say hello and uh, maybe buy his lunch or something along those lines because of all the things that he's been good to us about and uh, got the got the privilege of hanging out with you guys this morning so I can tell you this if you will come back next week the good preacher will be back in the pulpit you'll get to hear from Pastor Paul uh, my wife and I we are from South Central Kentucky uh, I was born and bred on the Cumberland River um, it is pretty much all that I've ever known the mandate and the calling on our life is to be there in rural America and uh, to plunder hell and to populate heaven. Our church exists for one reason above all else, and that is because everyone needs Jesus. And uh, we're going to do everything we can to see to it that heaven is more populated than hell. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I, was, uh, I grew up playing ball, and uh, in 1998, I was about to step on the Russell County High School basketball court for the last time. And I remember standing there in the quarter. I was getting ready to lead my team out. And they were playing, we will, we will. Yeah. Some of y'all need to get saved, go back to sing with the kids' choir. But I'm not exactly sure who we were going to rock because we were 4 and 19. But when we came out on the floor, I remember the adrenaline of, man, this is my last time on the home court. And... When tip-off came, our power forward passed the ball over to our shooting guard who then passed the ball to me, streaking number 14. Grabbed the ball, laid it up and in, scored. The other team got the ball. They started to pass it in like a streak of lightning. I jumped in between the passing lane, grabbed the basketball, turned around, reverse layup, scored, fouled, went to the free throw line. If you're keeping score, that's Eric Gilbert, five, the Danville Knights, zero. They got the ball, went down the floor, shot it, and missed. Our power forward grabbed the rebound, once again passed ahead to glorious number 14, who went in and laid in another shot. It's now seven to zero, Eric Gilbert to Danville, at which point, the Danville head coach called a timeout because on his scouting report was number 52, was number 32, number 10, number 20, but nowhere on his scouting report was number 14. And it was there that my head coach met me at half court, grabbed me by the jersey, and he said, Gilbert, would you please tell me why you haven't played like that for the last four years? I said, Coach, I was planning on going out with a bang. 
And I believe that there is a lot of things that are happening right now that would seem to insinuate that time is accelerating itself. And that even a lot of the things that we see on the news seem to be charting the course for what could only be referred to as end times from a scriptural perspective. And I just want to believe that God desires His church to go out with a bang. And in the process of that, I believe He desires to use some people that maybe some folks weren't even anticipating to be a part of God's game plan. But you're not on the enemy's scouting report. And that gives you the opportunity to be used by the Lord in a way that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and neither has it entered the heart of man. God's got more for you today than even what you contemplated yesterday. It is exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think according to the power that He will deposit and has deposited on the inside of you. But here is the issue. As we contemplate the possibilities of revival, you know, right now they say that there are more people alive on planet Earth than has historically lived throughout all of time. Seven billion people on the planet today. It means that if an awakening were to sweep the earth, if revival fires were really to begin to burn, there is the possibility for something to happen that would lead to heaven being flooded with a new population of souls. But it is possible that maybe the greatest hurdle, the greatest hurdle to revival and a great awakening is one thing. It has plagued the church for over 2,000 years. It has plagued the people of God for nearly 6,000 years. It is the spirit of offense. And it is directly related to the only prayer that Jesus ever prayed that has not been answered. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed, Father, that they would be one, that the world would believe that you sent me. God literally prayed through Jesus that his people would be one as the Father and the Son are one. That level of unity. In fact, when you go into Acts chapter 2, there is an outpouring that directly resulted in a 10-minute sermon seeing 3,000 people get saved. And it comes on the other side of God finding His people in one place, in one accord, in unity. You can never underestimate the significance of unity when it comes to giving birth to in the earth what God really does want and desire to do. I want you to see a passage of text with me. It's Acts chapter 28, it's verse number 1. It says, And now when they had escaped, then they found out that the island had been called Malta. And the natives showed us no unusual, showed us unusual kindness, excuse me, for they kindled a fire and they made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and he laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and he fastened on the hand. Verse number 5, Acts 28. But he shook off the creature, the viper, the snake, into the fire, and he suffered no harm. Verse 6, however, they were expecting that he could swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and they saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and they said, surely this guy is a god. I want you to draw your attention back to verse number 5 with me, and this is what it says. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered 
no harm. I want you to look at somebody and tell them, shake it off. Come on, look the other direction now and tell them, shake it off. Because I'm going to tell you something, long before Taylor Swift got into the action, the Apostle Paul was giving us something by example that we cannot overlook. Just tell somebody one more time, shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. Father, I ask you to help me to preach. I ask you to help me to deliver your word. I pray, Father, that you would do something in this moment that coincidence would never be able to take the credit for, that you would push hell back and bring heaven down, that culture might be pulled up. Father, let it be done in the name of Jesus. Find every spirit of hindrance. Find every spirit of distraction. And let me yield your sword with skillfulness. Show me where to pierce and show me where to heal. And let it be done in the name of Jesus. And this church said, amen and amen. Luke chapter 17, verse number 1. Here's what it says. Luke chapter 17, verse number 1. Jesus said to his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Jesus speaking. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Here's the deal. Somebody is going to make you mad. Okay. Somebody is going to hurt your feelings. Somebody's going to say something you don't like. They're going to make a reference towards your kid that just totally upsets you. They're going to tell you they don't like the way you preach, they don't like the way you sing, they don't like the way you park your car, they don't like the way you talk, they don't like where you live. They don't. At some point, somebody is going to offend you. Jesus said, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. And here's what I notice about Acts chapter 28. I believe that there is something allegorical in, in Acts chapter 28 to speak to us from the prophetic statement that Jesus is giving us. Because here's the thing. John the Baptist preached of a coming fire. And to those that were offended by his message, he called them a generation of vipers. Jesus was the fire. And to those that were offended by his message, he called them a generation of vipers. Here's something we immediately notice. That there is evidently something about the spirit of offense that likes to hang out around the fire. And it typically shows up in a snake-like kind of way. So, if John the Baptist was, the coming it was preaching of a coming fire, and those that are offended by his message, he says, man, y'all act like a bunch of vipers. And if Jesus was the fire, and to those that were offended by his message, he says, y'all act like a bunch of vipers. Then is it possible we need to understand something about the viper and the fire? Because in Acts 28, Paul is shipwrecked and he finds himself on an island and he is going about the business of trying to kindle a fire. And the way that it works is he goes over, he picks up some sticks and he brings them back to the fire. And scripture tells us that as he gets close to the heat, as he starts to lay the sticks on the fire, there's a viper that comes out and it bites him. And I get it, man, the Apostle Paul was not your average choir boy, but you will never convince me that he would have picked up those sticks if he'd have known there was a snake in them. Just like you wouldn't have picked up that relationship. 
if you would have known there was a snake in it. You wouldn't have got involved with that group of people. You wouldn't have been hanging out in that place if you would have known there was a snake in it. There's no way that you would have taken that relationship to the next level. You wouldn't have been a part of that Bible study. You wouldn't have got in that Sunday school class or that small group. No, if you'd have known there was a snake, you wouldn't have got in that marriage if you'd have known there was a snake in it. Isn't that the thing about offense? The thing that makes it so painful, the thing that makes it so hurtful is that it comes from a place that you didn't expect it. See, so often about offense is it's not about what was said, it's about who said it. Because you expected more from them. You expected them to behave better. You expected them to have more filter on their tongue. You know, David talked about it. Psalm chapter 55, verse number 12. David said, if it were an enemy that was insulting me, I could endure it. But it is you, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Here's the way this thing works. It'll lay hidden for weeks, months, sometimes years. And then it is the moment where that the fire really starts to be rekindled. It's the moment when the fire really starts to burn the hottest. And it typically hangs out around the people who are trying to work the thing. The people who are trying to serve and the people who are trying to be a part of just making it burn hotter. And right about the time you get closest to the heat and you're like, man, revival's here. Somebody gets bit. And now they're mad. And they're going to get all over Facebook and they're going to say a bunch of stuff. And they might not call anybody's name, but you're going to know exactly who they're talking about and what they're referencing. And then the comment sections are going to get all tense with this subtle passive aggressiveness. And then if it really starts to burn, who am I trying to help this morning? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Here's what I believe that we're going to have to look out for. I believe that as the church begins to be renewed in its fires, as we are seeing that I believe God's going to take the thing that the enemy has meant for evil in our society and in our culture and our nation, and he's going to use it for good. What you're going to have to look out for is right about the time that the fires start to really get hot again and it starts to feel like revivals beginning to transpire in your community and in your region. There are going to be snakes. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. There's going to be snakes. The spirit of offense is going to start to rear its head. And it's going to reach out and it's going to try to bite somebody. And if you're in the business of working the fire, if you're a person that gives of your time, you're a person that gives of your talent, you're a person that gives of your treasure, you are on the enemy's radar. You're in his scouting report. And probably even now, he's already tried to hide something. Where you're going to find yourself of like, man, I could have stood it if it hadn't come from them. I could have stood it if it wasn't that person that said what they said and did what they did. You know, when I think about how that there's so many people 
wrestling with the spirit of offense. There's so many people that it's not just that they will be bit by a viper, but it's that they have already been bitten by a viper. That I can't help but to think about, well, how is it that we overcome this spirit? How is it that we get over being offended? Because what happens is when the viper of offense bites you, he releases the poison of bitterness. And the thing that eventually starts to happen is your heart starts to get calloused and you reach a point to where you don't even feel anymore because you don't trust anymore and you feel validated and entitled about never really giving your heart to anyone so you never have meaningful relationships so then you can't grow. There's so many people that have been bitten. How do you overcome being bitten by the viper? I think Paul shows us exactly how. He didn't plan to get bit. He didn't set out to get bit. He probably didn't want to get bit. But when he got bit, he just takes his hand and reaches out over the very fire that the enemy's trying to keep him from kindling and begins to shake it off. Like, it's a decision of like, I'm not letting this thing hang on to me. I'm not letting this thing's fangs stay in my life. I'm not going to give place to this venom. Shake it off off like at some point you just got to get over yourself and realize I'm going to shake it off and so there's something that comes on you of like when you get bit and they, they drop that little sarcasm towards you and they say that thing towards you like there's something in you of like I know what that is but, but have you ever had the moment Where it just won't come loose. You see, Scripture gives us some instruction on how to shake it off. Scripture tells us that if you're going to shake it off, you are going to have to communicate. Like if you get into that place and you're not able to just instantaneously get over it, then there is something practical that has to be embraced in your life. You have to choose to communicate. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, Jesus tells us how to overcome offense. He says, if there is someone that you have issue with, you are supposed to go to that person privately and have a conversation. You are to go to that person privately and have a conversation. Isn't it amazing how often we do everything but that? We'll talk to Beulah about it, and we'll talk to Freddie about it, and we'll get Susie all stirred up about it, but we don't ever talk to the person. And then if we do choose to talk to them, we don't do it privately. We do it in some realm of public forum, which just makes the whole thing worse. But scripture says there's a specific instruction that if you're going to shake it off, you are to go to that person privately. 
And then if that doesn't work, then you are to go back with two or three people that you can trust, that are seasoned, that are mature, that maybe even are spiritual authority in your life. And you work through that thing together because as long as you let those things stay in you, you are hindering unity. And so long as you hinder unity, you are a hindrance to revival. And God never intended for you to be a stumbling block to that thing. He intended for you to be a fuel for it. And somebody who was seeing that thing propagate in the earth, that revival would break loose. And so so you go to them privately. If that doesn't work out, the next step is two or three people engaged in a prayerful discussion trying to work through this thing for the sake of bitterness not ruling and reigning. But you know what I've noticed is that even if we are willing to communicate, usually we're not willing to do it until we are like hot. And we've had all we can handle. I was a little boy. I was playing in my grandma's driveway. And I told her, I saw a turtle at the end of the driveway down in the drainage pipes. And I said, Granny, I'm, I'm going to go get that turtle. And she said, no, you're not. I said, yeah, Granny, I want to play with the turtle. And she said, Eric, you better leave that turtle alone. But, but Granny, I want to play with the turtle. Eric, if you are insisting on playing with that turtle, at least take this with you. She handed me a broom. Just a few minutes later, little five-year-old Eric is running back up the driveway, broom behind him, snapping turtle in tow. And that is how some of us behave, that we don't communicate until we're ready to come out of our cage and start snapping the head off of whatever is in our path. I can't get no help on a Sunday morning. We, we, don't, we, don't, we, don't want to, we don't want to talk about it until we just can't stay in the shell any longer. Now we're going to tell somebody what we really think. About to give them a piece of my mind. Our church had just gotten started. Pastor Paul referenced it. We, we started in a converted truck stop restaurant. Um, we started with six people. We were at a place where we just wanted help. And like if you came through the doors, we were all about it. Like, praise God. Somebody's here to help. And there was this one lady who she came in and she had this really big yes. And she was willing to serve. And man, she was helping kindle the fire. And I'm like, praise God. The Lord has truly sent this woman and her family. About six months into her time with us, we had grown to 12 people. And she sent me a, a, a letter in the mail. I went to the mailbox, I opened the letter, I came back to the kitchen table, I sat down, I started to go through it, and what I didn't realize is that for the last six months, she had been chronicling what a miserable excuse for a pastor I actually was. And honestly, I was doing okay with it until she started in on my wife. And when I got to the end of that letter, nine pages front and back, 18 pages, she had more pages than we had people. At the end of the letter, it requests that I call her because she wants to meet. I was happy to oblige. And, and I remember, like, waiting for her to arrive. I, I was sitting in my office, and, and, and my, my wife was hanging out nearby, waiting for this woman to come through the doors. And, and I've got the letter out, and I've laid it across my desk, and I've got a highlighter, and I'm highlighting everywhere that she is wrong and I am right. I am ready. And just a few moments before she's to walk in, I hear the Lord say to me, Eric, she's not mad at you. 
And I showed God the letter. I feel like the follow-up to that was, Eric, she, she's, not, she's not mad at you. She's brokenhearted. The lady comes in. She sits down on the edge of, her, of the chair across the desk from me. She pulls out her finger. It is locked and loaded. She begins to tear into me. She's regurgitating the lines of this letter. And about five minutes in, she finally stops to catch a breath. And I said, ma'am, ma'am, you're not mad at me. And she was as surprised to hear that as I was. I said, ma'am, I, I believe the, the Lord's revealed to me you are broken hearted. That somewhere along the lines, somebody legitimately hurt you. Somebody legitimately wounded you. Somebody legitimately offended you. And since that time, you've not known how to deal with it or process it. And I believe today God wants to bind up your broken heart. We continue into the conversation for a while. And at one point she looked at me and she said, Preacher, does this mean you're not going to yell at me? I said, no ma'am, I'm not going to yell at you. She said, well, the last nine churches I've been to in three years. Nine churches. You can do nine churches, three years. When I write my letter, the preacher yells at me. Nine churches in three years? You know what happened? She got bit. And she didn't know how to shake it off. And she just drug that snake with her. And any time that somebody got close to the wound, or it even partially resembled another snake, all she knew to do was start screaming and have a fit. I wonder, how many snakes are you dragging? How deep are the fangs into your soul? How poisoned are you with the venom of bitterness? You see, it's a big deal to deal with this thing. Because the longer that that venom of bitterness runs through the veins of your soul, the more you are going to swell, the more you are going to puff up. I lived back in the woods. I lived back in the woods for a long time. And my, my mother-in-law, she, she had a landscaping business. And she would get semi-truck loads of mulch delivered and one day one of those big old trucks brought in a five or six foot timber rattler the problem was we didn't know it was on the property it had maneuvered over from the mulch to a big old oak tree and there was a chocolate labrador retriever super sweet dog and he's just walking by minding his own business he doesn't know there's any danger He's never had to deal with that kind of thing in his backyard. As he come around the side of that oak tree, I happened to be watching, saw it all happen. The rattler fully extended, struck him in his back leg. We, we, we called the vet, what do we do? And He actually instructed us that the thing was probably going to have to just run its course. And we, we watched as that dog... For days, that leg would just swell and it would swell and it would swell. It got four or five times the size that it should have normally been. And then the flesh exploded. It burst. 
And when all that flesh exploded, all the venom and blood just began to run out. And I'm telling you, if you don't deal with the venom of bitterness, when you get bit by the spirit of offense, it's going to swell you and swell you and swell you until you can't take any more. And eventually your flesh is going to explode. Poison's just going to run every which direction. You say, but preacher, man, I tried to communicate. I tried to shake it off. Like, I tried to talk to them. And it, and it just seemed like the more I tried, the worse it got. And I haven't been able to have any success. It, here's the thing. If, you're, if you've tried to shake it off through the biblical instruction of communication and it didn't work, the next step for you is forgiveness. See, sometimes... You have to follow the model of your Savior. Your Savior tried to communicate with his audience multiple times. And they just continued to be offended. And it eventually reached the point where that they crucified him. And yet it is while that he is hanging on the cross that he says something that you can never overlook. He is stretched between heaven and earth. And he cries out this prayer, Father, forgive them for they knew not what they do. Forgive them for they know not what they do. For, it sure looked like they knew what they were doing. Do you realize that they were Roman executioners? Do you realize that the Roman government spent extended periods of time training people how to keep folks alive on a cross for as long as possible so the torture could be inflicted in a horrific way? Like, Do you realize that they were trained in how to get the most pain out of somebody and Jesus looked, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You realize that there are so many times that you've been offended by somebody and they didn't even fully comprehend or realize how bad they hurt you. That maybe they understood in the natural, but they didn't understand in the spiritual. And there are going to be moments in your life where you're finally, if you're going to be free, you're going to have to make that decision of, God, I am choosing to let go and let God. That I'm reaching this point where this thing is no longer going to hold me back. You see, when I graduated high school, my high school basketball coach brought me in, sat me down, took out an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, wrote on the top of it with a ballpoint pen, certificate of achievement, handed it across the desk to me, and I said, what's this for? He said, congratulations, you've been thrown out of more practices than anybody in the history of this school. I lived mad, angry. I had a chip on my shoulder and I wanted somebody to knock it off. Because what nobody on the planet knew is that from the time I was five until the time I was eight, I was the victim of somebody's perversion. And the victimization entitled me to hate. And I lived my life looking for the next person 
to engage my hate with. Who do you hate? Who is it that you don't even want to hear their name mentioned in your presence? Who is it that victimized you? Wounded you? You didn't deserve it. You didn't anticipate it. A family member should never do that kind of thing. Say that kind of thing. Somebody you Mile marker 82, Cumberland Parkway. Headed to college one day. I pulled a car over on the side of the road. And Jesus sat down in the passenger seat. He began to explain to me how that my life could transition from victor, from victim to victor. And how that the thing that the enemy had meant for evil, he could take it and he could use it for his good. And I remember the moment when as a pastor, 10 years into pastoral ministry, a young girl walks in, sits down, her family in tow. She begins to pour out her little eight-year-old heart, broken, tearful. Her grandfather had been raping her. And in that moment, I was the only individual on the planet in that little girl's life who could at least come close I remember the look on that little girl's face when she saw a big old 230-pound linebacker sitting across the desk from her, able to say, I know what you're talking about. And when that little girl left my office, the first time in my life I thanked God for what I had been through and I began to wonder what if I had not pulled the car over on mile marker 82 Cumberland Parkway and shook it off Who needs you to shake it off? I've stood in the pulpit over 6,500 times 
since Mile Marker 82. And so many times I get to watch victims become victors because they realize that through Jesus, his power and his example, they too can They said it should have killed Paul. But they became amazed when it didn't. You are not a victim of that snake. You will be a victor. And the test will become the greatest testimony of your life. Father. Somebody under the sound of my voice has been bitten by the spirit of offense. Others in this moment, it's not that they deal with the things of a viper being attached, but it is that they know surely a bite will come in a future time. God, I thank you for the instruction that you give us to know how to shake it off. God, there's some people who are going to need to communicate. And right now, they just need the grace to do that. The instruction to do that. The wisdom to do that. But there are going to be others, Father, that when communication doesn't fix it, and when they've done everything that they know to practically do to try and resolve it, they're going to have to step into that cross kind of moment and find in your grace and find in your love and find in your example, God, to surrender all the snakes, surrender all the vipers, surrender all the bites to you, and in those moments, Lord, be able to finally just let go and pray a prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. here today and you just feel like, man, I need to let go of some offense. Somebody you loved, somebody you cared about, somebody you went to church with. Maybe it's been around for a few weeks. Maybe it's been around for a few years. But some kind of bite took place. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed, and you're just like, man, I just need to let this thing go. Why don't you just throw a hand in the air and just you and the Lord right now. Just let the Holy Ghost have his way. Come on, let the Holy Ghost have his way. There's some kind of freedom in the acknowledgement of, God, I need to let this go. There's some of you, you've been holding it for years. And at times, you've even mistakenly and maybe unintentionally become proud about the fact you've held it. I haven't spoke to them in this amount of time. I haven't. Let it go. Do you realize that Jesus gave us a profound statement when he said, I can only forgive you if you are willing to forgive. He says to us, I'll give it to you if you'll let me bring it through you. And right now, even your next level in your relationship with God is possibly dependent upon you saying, I am ready to let this thing go to forgive. God is Listen, I'm, this isn't one of those trick sermons where I have you lift your hand and then you got to come down front. This is just you and God right now, okay? 
If you need to lift your hand, you do it right there where you're at. Come on, lift that hand. You and God, just right there. Let heaven come down. Listen, maybe you're watching me online today, and right now, like, you need to just lift that hand right there where you're at and just say, God, come down. Let heaven come down in my life. Have a moment with the Lord. Let him heal you. Let him heal you. Don't leave here like you came. You came in a victim. You're leaving a victim. feel some folks releasing some things right now. You've been holding on to it. You've allowed that to stay attached. You've been wondering how to shake it off. But I believe today is very clear. Father, I just pray right now for those who are being set free. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. Thank you, God, for your grace. If there's someone right beside you and you feel comfortable, would you put your hand on their shoulder? Lord, right now we pray for our brother and our sister. We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit bring healing to that wound. And Lord, I pray that as we are empowered by you, Lord, to allow the test to become the testimony, to allow the victim to become the victor. Lord, that there'll be a strength rise up in us, God. A Holy Ghost boldness, Lord, to be able to to be able to love others, to be able to say, I forgive you. To be able to help others to that same strife and struggle. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you, God. I don't want to diminish the opportunity, but if you feel like you would like someone to pray with you this morning feel free to come forward and we we will pray with you if you're carrying that and it's heavy this morning you'd like to let that go don't be afraid if you'd like to come forward we'd like to pray with you and believe with you